0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today on this sunny, nice day. I want to talk to you this morning about this uh, reading from our gospel today, Mark. big idea is, because Jesus is the ultimate authority, he gets the last word. Amen. So the theme of these verses really is the authority of Jesus as the Lord's servant. And that's, that word servant plays a role here as well. Authority is, uh, is the right or the power to enforce obedience. That's what the word authority means, the right or the power to enforce obedience. The setting for the story is the synagogue. The synagogue was created in the exile in Babylon because the temple was gone. And they needed to get together. So where there were ten Jewish men, they could form a synagogue. In a synagogue on the Sabbath, you would have scripture reading, prayer, and then a sermon in Jesus' day. There were synagogues all over the the area in each town. And uh, the rabbi would preach or a traveling teacher would come and preach, uh, much like uh, Jesus. During the week, boys would be in the synagogue, and they'd learn about the law and the religion and the faith. Uh, Girls not allowed. No girls oh well. <laughs> Scribes and Pharisees were running the show in those days, and they were given authority due to their position. That's why they were able to tell people what to do. And obedience to them was motivated primarily by fear. Um, because if you were out of the synagogue, you were out of the community. This is The, the synagogue was the center of things. This is where relations were formed and, and and and, uh, developed and things like that. Remember the story of Jesus healing a man born blind? And uh, the Pharisees and the scribes go to the man's parents, and they're grilling them. Was he born blind? What's the story with this guy? And they're like, hey, he's old enough. He can speak for himself. Don't ask us any questions. Why did they say that? They said that because they were afraid of giving the wrong answer and getting into conflict with the leaders of the synagogue and getting put out. They didn't want to take that risk because they said, just go talk to our son. That's the the way it operated back in those days. So authority comes from either fear or respect. Authority comes from either fear or respect. I have this thing I call the power or the authority pyramid. You can have positional authority. You have authority because of the position you hold, not because of who you are or how good you are, but just by the fact that you have a position. If a police officer pulls you over for speeding and gives you a ticket, when he hands you the ticket, you don't ask for his latest evaluation to see if he's worthy of giving you a ticket. No, he's able to give you a ticket because of his position, he's a police officer. A judge renders a verdict. He may be the worst judge in the world, but he's still the judge and because of his position, he gets to do that. Teachers have authority in the classroom because they're responsible for what happens in the classroom. Parents have authority in the home because they're responsible for what happens with their children. So it's positional. Then there's technical power or authority. It's because of what you know. So if I have a my, my transmission in my car needs work, uh, I'm probably not going to take it to David McFadden. David's got a lot of training. He's a doctor, an MD, but I'm gonna take the car to an auto mechanic. He may not have as much education, but he has the technical knowledge to fix my car. If I have a medical problem, I'm going to him or another appropriate specialist because they have the technical knowledge to do what what I need to have done, okay? And that gives them authority to make decisions in that situation. Then there's positive authority or power. It goes like this. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Then there's negative power and authority. If you don't do this for me, I will do this to you. Kind of want to avoid that one. And the last one has to do with respect, and it's called referent power, referent authority. This has to do with relationship. This is the kind of power and authority that we experience with Jesus. All right? So this is where in a workplace, those who work there, the boss doesn't need to be there in order for the job to get done. They show up, they follow the rules, they do the work because they have a good relationship with the leader. The authority and the power there is based on respect, not fear. makes the difference. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is hoping for us. And the scribes and the Pharisees, it was just the opposite. Christ's authority manifests in two ways. First, it manifests in his word. The scribes had authority due to to their position and rank. Christ had authority due due to his character and his words, what he said. And we learned today that when he spoke, the people were astonished at his teaching. The word astonished here is like thunderstruck, gobsmacked, blown away. They had never heard anything like this all the times they've been going to the synagogue every time they hear a sermon they've never heard anything like this what was the difference unlike Jesus the scribes referenced other rabbis all the time well Hillel put it this way and Shammai put it that way and we're going to unpack it over here and this is how they did it over there but now this is we're going to and they were always referencing somebody else Jesus didn't do that he just and they always minored they majored in minutiae the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't know if you remember that scene out of Fiddle Around the Roof where the sewing machine shows up. And there's a picture of it, and everybody you can see everybody's face, and he's unveiling the sewing, and they're going, what is it? It's a sewing machine. They'd never seen one before. Well, before they could use it, <coughs> they had to get the rabbi's permission. The rabbi had to come and say that it was kosher for them to use it. And he does, and everybody's happy and they get all excited. That's the kind of thing. They're always talking about rules and regulations on the Sabbath, what you could wear how what what was work, what was what you could eat, what you could wear, where you could go, how you could travel. Jesus talks about things that really matter. When Christ spoke, there was no debate due to the authority of his words. I think of John fourteen six. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Period. Not anybody else, just me. Declarative sentence. Matthew 19, 4. Have you not heard that God created them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one? God created them male and female. In the Bible, it says, don't be anxious or fearful 365 times. I don't know how many times Jesus said it, but he said it a lot. Don't be anxious. How about the Great Commission? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, people groups, ethnos, and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what I want you to do. So when he speaks, it's with authority. Secondly, his authority was manifested by his deeds. The deliverance of the man with the unclean spirit. The demon knows Jesus, who Jesus is, <clears throat> and wants nothing to do with him. Notice he calls him Jesus of Nazareth, testifying to his Humanity, and he calls him the Holy One of God, affirming his deity. He understands that Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. The demons know a whole lot more about than the scribes and the Pharisees do. And later, Jesus is going to blast the hypocrites in the strongest possible terms. (coughs) Excuse me. If you go to Matthew 21, you have the seven woes. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And the word woe here means be damned. It's powerful. And he's had it with them because they've taken such advantage of the people. John the Baptist, what does he say to them when they come out to see what he's doing? You brood of vipers. And he's saying this to the leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the people that have that position of authority out of fear. Well, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? A holy man or holy God? Jesus wants a witness to himself. Some places today, the word Jesus is off limits. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, sometimes they'll say it now. If you pray in public, you can say God, but please don't say Jesus. They don't say that to me, but because I'm going to say Jesus. And if I can't say Jesus, I'm not praying because he's my Lord and he's my Savior. He is the one who reconciled me with the Father through himself and the power of the Holy Spirit. And not to say his name would be to desecrate him in a way, you know. And what are you afraid of about the name of Jesus? Jesus. That kind of relationship that we hope for with Christ comes from the Holy Spirit. Where Jesus is Lord, the Spirit is present. Where Jesus is not Lord, the Spirit is not present. Jesus is Lord at Christ the King Anglican Church. The Holy Spirit is present in this place. He is present in the people that call this place home. It's personal. Martin Luther said that faith is expressed in possessive pronouns. You can say that Jesus is the Lord, He is the Savior, or you can say He's my Lord and my Savior. That makes more sense to me. Christ's authority is not only attested to by the demons, but it also by the deliverance. Jesus says, Be quiet, be muzzled, be silent shut up. Basically, that's what that means. I always love it. Jesus, when he's dealing with this crowd, short and sweet, you know, in the presence of Jesus, sin is defeated. Satan to Jesus must bow. I think of the temptation in the desert. Jesus is in the desert 40 days. Okay. The word, the number 40 means a long time. When you see 40 in scripture, it just means a long time. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. They spent 40 years in the desert. They were in the new, in, in the, in the, the uh, no, not the desert. When well, they went into the, to the good country there. Promised land, thank you. Senior moment. Senior moment. 40 days, well, it's 40 it just means a long time. And we know about two or three times when the devil, you know, tempted Jesus. But he was being tempted by Satan the whole time. But when he says, turn these stones into bread, man doesn't live by bread alone. Throw yourself off the temple. Do not tempt the Lord your God. You know, not a, not a big diatribe or anything, just short and sweet. His authority was also attested to because it was talked about by everyone. A new teaching, his fame spread all over, and with it, his threat to the authorities. That's why they wanted to kill him, because he was drawing people away from them because of what he was doing and what he was saying. I guess the question for us today is, are people talking today about Christ and Christians like this? And if not, why not? Could it be that people do not see a difference between us and everyone else? Are we just like everybody else, or is there something different about us because we are Christ followers? Richard Foster said, You can't preach the good news and be the bad news. Long faces, dreary, sad, oh no. I love what Oliver Wendell Holmes said. He said, I probably would have been a preacher if every preacher I ever met didn't remind me of an undertaker. Yeah. But, but do we have a, a positive outlook, an upbeat countenance? Are we optimistic? I don't mean Pollyanna, there's nothing wrong, but even in the face of the challenges that we have today, are we upbeat and positive because in the end, in the end God wins? He wins. And we're on his team. We're going to win with him. Knowing the word is one thing. Even Satan knows the word. Living it out and applying it to our lives is what matters. Is my life different because of Christ? One way to apply this is that the God-given authority that Christ had in his word and his deeds, was given by God to Jesus for the purpose of serving others. It's one of the things he did all the time. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Somebody once said, we're saved to serve. The scribes and the Pharisees claimed authority for the purpose of self-serving influence. That's the opposite of what Christ expects of us. We are saved to serve others. Evil, you remember, cares not for the truth and is motivated only by self-interest. The scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders in those days, they saw what Jesus was doing. They knew that something was there was something special about him. They saw that there were there were prophecies being fulfilled in him. He turned water into wine. The lame walked. The deaf could hear. The dumb could speak. And this was the big one. Healing of the blind never occurred in the Old Testament. That was a miracle that was reserved for the Messiah. Did Jesus heal the blind? Yes, he did. Did they know what that meant? Yes, they did. We've got to kill this guy. We've got to get rid of him because they're all going to flock to him and we'll be out of luck. We'll be out of luck. So he's got to go, and they thought they won, but they didn't. Very often authority is abused. I live in a, there's an HOA. (coughs) Not too long ago, my neighbor, a police officer came, I was standing out in front of the house, and he said, hey, did you hear what happened last night? I said, no, what? He said, uh, late in the night, they towed all the cars that were parked on the street. And there's like eight of these little developments in the Magnolias. There was a guy, people were running around in golf carts at 2 in the morning, radioing in license plates. And people were up in arms. I think it cost like 500 bucks to get your car out of hock. And the answer they got from the HOA was well, you know, on page 67 of the 82 page document you signed when you moved in here says <coughs> you can't have your car on the street after 10 p.m. Huh. No warning, no notice just did it. Because they could. They didn't care. Pharisees, scribes, they abused their power. They could have said, "Um, we're having a problem with cars on the street, so uh, as of February 1st, please don't park your cars. If your car is in the street after 10 o'clock, you're going to get towed. Fair. Not so much. You see it all the time. Whatever authority we have is not to throw our weight around, but to lay down our lives for others. I was listening to somebody talk about Mr. Rogers the other day. Remember Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers? He came from a fairly well-to-do family, and his mother was always doing things. If somebody needed shoes, she'd get him shoes. You need clothes? Got the clothes. You need furniture? You got the furniture. Nobody ever knew that it was her. And I I point to Karen Murphy, who's always doing that kind of thing for people in our community. But she said, I want to do this so I can be a good neighbor. I always thought it was kind of creepy when Mr. Rogers was talking about being a neighbor. But it came from his mother, who had a giving heart. Anybody here know uh, Jimmy Blocker? Furniture store? Jimmy Blocker, furniture store. He was like that. He, uh, when we were going from Greece to living waters, he called me up and said, Father Don, is Jimmy Blocker. And I, I, I knew him. He said, now I know where you're going, and you're going to need some love seats over there. I'm going to send over six in the morning, neutral colors. You're going to like them. Now, if you want to know what they look like, there's one in the, here. There's one in my office. There's some over here. They're like 16 years old, and you think they were New. New. One day he called me up and says, uh, Father Don, you think you could meet me over at uh, Wells Fargo Bank? <clears throat> I think I could, Jimmy. <laughs> and he helped build this place. And thing after thing after thing after thing that affected us here. And I remember one time I was talking to him and I was talking about these things that he did. He didn't remember any of them. And it wasn't dementia. He just does it all the time. He just did it all the time. I did his funeral. I did his funeral at a cemetery. And I mean, they ran out of room in the book. You know where you sign the book? They ran out of room. I've never seen that before. Then we came back here to the North Hall. We had a reception. People were just telling all these stories about Jimmy. And he was up in Salt Springs. And uh, he was going to this restaurant every day. And he said to the owner of the restaurant, now I want you to go down to my furniture store and get anything you want. And the guy does. And Jimmy comes into the restaurant later, and he says, What did you get down there, my my, my store? And Jimmy, and the guy goes, I, I got an end table. You got an end table? Don't you know I've got couches down there that are worth $10,000? You got an end table? Well, that's what I wanted. <laughs> but it, it didn't matter to Jimmy. He just wanted to be helpful. Everybody that came after that service had a story about him, you know? Hmm? Did you? Let me leave you with this. A few years ago, a group of salesmen went to a regional conference in Chicago. Like many men do, they assured their wives that they would be home in plenty of time for Friday night's dinner. In their rush with their tickets and briefcases in their hands, one of these salesmen inadvertently kicked over a table which held a display of apples. You can imagine the apples went flying, rolling everywhere, and without stopping or looking back, they all managed to reach the plane in time, where they nearly missed boarding. All but one. One salesman paused, took a deep breath, got in touch with his feelings, and experienced a twinge of compassion for the girl whose apple stand had been overturned. He told the buddies to go on without him, waved goodbye, and then he returned to the terminal where the apples were all over the floor, and he was glad when he did because he found there a 16-year-old girl who was totally blind. She was softly crying, tears running down her cheeks, in frustration at the plight of how she was going to retrieve all these apples. The salesman knelt on the floor with her and gathered up all the apples. He put them back on the table. He helped her organize her display the way it was, and as he did this, he noticed that many of the apples had been become battered and bruised. He put those aside in a different basket. And when he had finished, he pulled out his wallet and said to the girl, Now here, please take this hundred dollars for the damage we did. Are you all right? She nodded through the tears, and he continued on with, I hope we didn't spoil your day too badly. As the salesman began to walk away, the bewildered blind girl called out to him, Mr., and he paused and turned to look back into those blind eyes, and she continued, "Are you Jesus?" This is a true story. He stopped in midstride, and he wondered, and he slowly made his way to the, catch the plate, the later flight, with that question burning and bouncing about in his soul: "Are you Jesus? Do people mistake you for Jesus?" To the blind people in the world who see no beauty in him on a written page, that they should desire him? Does your life make a difference in theirs to such an extent that the authority of Christ is manifest in you? A couple of weeks ago I said, you may be the only Bible some people ever read. You may be the only Jesus some people ever meet. Amen.